that Billy Graham um, used to use quite a bit. His son, Franklin, is, it's been announced as coming here uh, to Australia in a few weeks. Highly encourage you to be thinking of friends and family members you can bring to that event. Uh, Billy Graham Ministries is awesome, very clear in the gospel, and extremely evangelistic, and yep, double thumbs up. Um, let's, let's pray. Let's, before we dive into this word together, let's, let, let's ask the Lord that he would bless our time. Lord, as we have just heard this sacred text, a familiar text, Lord, but a sacred text that you have breathed out, we know that you haven't placed your power in us, but in your word. And you said that your word will not return to you void. So this morning, we plead for the presence of your Holy Spirit who inspired this word in the first place. Jesus, give us clarity that the filthiness of our minds may be confronted, that the shackles may be removed from our hearts, the wax from our ears, the scales from our eyes, that we may hear your word and love it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a great passage in John. It's interesting. A couple things I would like to note with Nicodemus here. Um, Nicodemus, it's interesting, he comes to Jesus at night. Um, and even his name alone, Nicodemus, it's actually a Greek name. It's a Greek name, which it's not very common for many Jewish people at this time to have Greek names. So this guy is kind of a tier above the rest. Do you notice in the text that Jeanette, and Jeanette, you did a great job reading that, by the way. Um, do you notice that in the text, there you are. You only sit over there, and now you're over there. Um, but Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. Right? This guy, uh, he has a Greek name. He, he's a teacher of the people, no doubt well-respected. Um, but it's interesting, notice there in John, it says that he is a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee. Um, you know, with the Pharisees, um, we know them as the bad guys, right? Because when you pick up your New Testament and you can just hear the imperial march as the Pharisees show up. Right? We, we, they're the bad guys. But where did these guys come from? Because are they, are they in the Old Testament? They're on the Old Testament, actually. So where, where do these... What do these blokes show up? The Pharisees. It's interesting, they show up in what's called the Maccabean era. Now, from the close of the Old Testament, about the time of Ezra, to the opening of the New Testament, you have a 400-year gap. Did you know that? So I know that in between your Bibles, you see one thin little sheet of paper, and it goes Old Testament, and then voila, New Testament. 400 years in between that. Long time. I mean, just think how long, even like when you think about this nation or even nations that are existing today. 400 years is a, is a very long time. And during this period, the world, starting off with Alexander the Great, is becoming Greekified. Okay? So everything is Greek. Now, if you're a Jew, that's a bad thing. Because you want to hold on to worship of God alone. You don't want to celebrate the Olympics, not the Olympics as we know them today. The Olympics is worshiping pagan gods, etc., etc. And that's what's happening all throughout the world during those 400 years where everything is becoming 
Very Greekified. I made, I made up that word, but very Greekified. You know what I mean by that? And, and so, well, what you have is religious people saying, "Hold on, guys, we can't. Uh, we still circumcision is still important. It's still a part of who we are as the people of God. The Torah, knowing God's word, is critically important. Right? That's why we got." booted out of the Holy Land and had to go to Babylon for 70 years and come back in and now we try to rebuild the temple and life still, we don't have a Davidic ruler here. This is not, it's less than ideal. So what we need to do is we need to keep worshiping God. We need to be very, very careful to observe the law. And so there's this band of guys that rise up, men that say, hey, let's direct the people back to Torah, reminding them who we are. They're the Pharisees. Okay? They're, they're, they start off as a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, it's not like God's like, hey, it's cool, you know. Um, hey, just become all things to all people, which means you can just, that's Paul I'm quoting, which means you can just sin it up, baby. It's not, what, it's not what's going on here. It's like, you need to be the holy people of God, distinct. You're my people. So here come the Pharisees. And these guys, over time, what started off as maybe a good thing, over time, as that evolved through the years, remember 400 years, these guys are saying, oh man, you know what? We gotta be really careful that the people are obeying every jot and tittle of this law, so we're gonna start adding on things as sort of parameters to help them. Yeah, that, how does that, and you can almost see a committee center. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. And that's why by the time you get all the way 400 years later and Jesus shows up on the scene, that's when the imperial march comes. Because now they, they have, you know, strained, what is it called, uh, a gnat and a camel and all that. They're, they're, they've, they've taken the law and they've added their own external things to it and made everything about, um, these guys even had rituals to where when they would wash their hands, they would keep their fingertips up. And they, they were, you know, they wouldn't, they would tithe perfectly. These guys had it down and they would they'd push that on the people. So it started off as a good thing. So, so the Pharisees, though, but you have to understand something about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, so as much as, right, we know them as the Imperial March guys, these were middle-class Jewish businessmen. They were solid citizens of the day. As much as their hearts are wicked, these, externally speaking, on the outside, these were the good guys. Does that make sense? We know them as the Imperial March comes and Jesus, you know, because again, you got the Old Testament ends, and all of a sudden, if you start reading in Matthew, John the Baptist is there, this wide-eyed, wild-haired preacher man who eats grasshoppers and local raw organic honey, right? And here comes the Pharisees. Well, who are these guys? And what is he? Is, is John the Baptist like, yo, guys, what's up? No, you brood of vipers. You know, he gets all King James-only fundamentalist on them, right? Where are these guys? Well, it's their hearts that's the issue right? They're like whitewashed tombs. But they're not, externally though, the people that you'd say, oh, those are the, those are the biggest rat bags in society. They're, they're, the, they're the people you probably could depend on in some regard. Um, again, look, if, if you're walking down the street at night and you see a Pharisee, you'd probably say, okay, good. That's not going to be the person that's going to mug you, right? That's not going to be the person that you're going to be scared about. They're, quote, the good guys, right? But Jesus rebukes them for their hyper-concentration on external things. 
But I noticed in the text there, this man, he's of this tribe of, of the Pharisees, and he comes to Jesus at night. Right? Comes to Jesus at night. Why would John highlight that? Well, a couple reasons John may highlight that. There's a, there's a contrast, if you've noticed, between light and darkness in John. Even if you read 1 John, he keeps up with that theme, right? Light and darkness. So you have dark Nicodemus, light of the world Jesus there. That could be part of it. Another part of that could be the reason, Jesus, the reason Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night is he doesn't want public association with the Lord at this time, right? Maybe so he kind of has his own little incognito, you know, talk with Jesus. Um, another reason could be that it, Jesus, during the day as he's teaching, we know that there's large crowds, massive crowds, you know, following him. So you, you couldn't, it'd be hard to get a one-on-one -on -one with this guy, even if you thought you were really special, right? It'd be hard to, it'd hard, hard to get a one-on-one -on -one with this guy. And so, he, nonetheless, he comes to Jesus at night, and, and he addresses Jesus with some respect, right? He doesn't say, I know who you are, you know, you glutton, you this. And he says, oh, Rabbi, we, we know that you're from God. But notice Jesus answered a question that Nicodemus wasn't asking. Look in verse 3. Verse 3. There's a question here, right? So Nicodemus says, we know you come from God, for no one could perform these miraculous signs that were God doing if God were not with him. And then, it's quite interesting, it's not the question he asks, but Jesus goes right to the heart of it. And then Jesus says this. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is, so it's kind of interesting with this conversation, isn't it? Because you'd almost picture if you were a fly on the wall, Jesus is there and Nicodemus comes, knocks at his door, and he says, hey, Jesus, you know, no offense, we think you're a great guy, and we agree with a lot of things that you say, but what, who are you exactly? What's going on? And Jesus says, hey, um, can, can I ask Nicodemus, um, you know what, or actually, can I just tell you, um, unless one's born from above, right, from above, that's the, you can say that the same way, unless one is born from above, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, are we having a conversation or are you just talking at me here? But I want, I want us to look here, just turn a page over. Look at John 2, 25. It's interesting because you, it's talking about this idea of like, wait, why, why from above? Why do, what does that have to be? Look at John 2, 25. Interesting little commentary here. And it says there, let's, let's actually pick up in verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew they were good. And in the end of the day, if you just build parks and give out everything they need, society will be a really good place. Is that what it says? No. No, 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 no. Right? Did not win wishes about them, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in man. 
So you cannot, listen friend, you cannot come to Jesus by yourself in your sin and foolishness. You will never come because that's what's in you and me. Jesus knows what's in you and me. I mean, think about it this way. Did any of you choose, choose to come into this world as a baby? No, your parents did, right? No, of course not, right? The same goes for your spiritual rebirth. That's why you must be born from above. God needs to first act in saving you and making you new. Something supernatural has to come down, has to penetrate. It's something that you cannot provide for yourself. Salvation comes by grace, by grace alone. It comes from above. It doesn't come from some inner spiritual longing or yearning or aspiration. Like Hindus teach, right? What do Hindus say? Well, you know, uh, we, we all have an inner spark. We all have an inner spark and that if only we, we stopped and meditated long enough, we would find it. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying it's not in you. It has to come from outside of you, from altogether outside of you. Nicodemus didn't get that someone Jewish would need to convert, Right? I mean, come on. He's God's covenant people. So Jesus is explaining that ethnicity and this religious knowledge is not enough. Look at, look at verse 4. John 3, John 3, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. It's interesting here, isn't it? The metaphors there, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You get the idea it's something different, isn't it? It's something supernatural. When we teach little children to speak, right, we, we usually call things not by the names of which they are known to us, but by the kind of noises that they make. It's the metaphors Jesus is trying to use with Nicodemus here, right? We, we often speak to children and we, say, we don't say, oh, look, lion. We'll say lion, right? Or fire truck, and we're trying to teach them those things. It's the same here. Jesus is using figurative language to teach spiritual truth. He's reaching way back into the Old Testament, by the way, and to Ezekiel 36 about this new covenant. And he didn't talk to Nicodemus in abstract words, but, but he gave him metaphorical words so he might understand the essence better. But Nicodemus is scratching his head. Still doesn't get it. And that's why Jesus says, look, man, you're Israel's teacher. Aren't you like the top theologian today? Aren't you like the good guy? And here's this man, Nicodemus, worthy of respect and admiration, a good man, one admired by the whole of Israel for his intellect, for his powers of reasoning, and for his ability to open up the scriptures and expound them, right? The, the people didn't think of him as a hypocrite. They, they respected him. They admired him. But this man, this man, Nicodemus, is outside the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was not in the kingdom of heaven. He did not belong to the kingdom of heaven. He had not entered into the kingdom of heaven. 
He couldn't see the kingdom of heaven. He could talk about it and preach about it and expound about it, but in actual fact, he wasn't in it. He needed to be born again, just like every one of us needs to be born from above, born again. I love how John Calvin puts it in his commentary here. He says this, not the correction of one part, but the renovation of the whole nature. I like that. Not the correction of one part, but the renovation of the whole nature. Friend, the same goes for all of us. You must be born again. You must be born again. He did not come, Jesus did not come to patch us up a little. He came to recreate us by a power from above. You need a new heart. Verse 8 shows this. If you look at verse 8, it shows, that this, shows us so clearly that the sovereign grace of God has to break through and take hold of that stony heart and transform it and make it into a new heart in verse 8. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it, is, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, God's initiative here in salvation, remember, it has to come from above. It has to come from out. Why do I keep saying that, by the way? Because anothen in Greek there is from above. That's what it means. You can say again or from above. Born again is the phrase Billy Graham probably quoted well enough in our generations to where we know that. But from above, it adds to that sense of it has to come from outside, doesn't it? And you see God taking that first initiative in salvation to save us. As Wayne Grudem says in his systematic theology, when he's talking about this idea of being born again, listen, he says regeneration, it's a fancy term for being born again, regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Notice in verse 9 here, I want to keep reading because Jesus is, he's already hinted at Ezekiel 36 about this idea of the new covenant, and now he's going to give Nicodemus a very familiar, likely what Nicodemus heard as a young boy growing up, about the Israelites and how they turn their back on God and there's these venomous snakes coming. So let's, let's keep reading here. He drives home this point in a peculiar way. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What was that about? As Moses lifted up the serpent, what, is he some kind of Aussie out in the bush, you know? I had to say that, you know. 
Look at the size of this snake. That's how Americans picture muscle strains. And oh, my, look at this thing. It's like they're not all like that. What's that about? Is Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Why, why use this illustration, Jesus? What's going on? Well, let's look at it. Turn to, go to the left in your Bibles. Turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. The book of Numbers. Book of Numbers. We can see this story here, right? Book of Numbers 21. It's a fascinating, fascinating story here. It's the nation of Israel wanting to get into the promised land, not there. Then Mount, from Mount Hor, I'm, I'm going to uh, pick up in verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. This is what they said. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Wait, hold on, guys. I thought there was no food. Why are you loathing the food? That you, anyway, just kind of find that funny. There's no food, and we hate this food. Whatever. But look, look what happened. God's not happy about that. Not happy about that at all. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's intense. Remember I told you earlier, reading the Old Testament's intense? Here are these people that have turned their backs on God and God sends fiery serpents. And if they're bit... Now, you have to picture the tabernacle. It's probably not much bigger than this, say, this rim, maybe this build, probably about the size of this building, maybe the size of our property, right? So if you lift up the bronze serpent, the nation of Israel is well over a million people at this point. You can't crowd a million people in this parking lot. We could try that. It wouldn't work. So potentially, people are as far as way beyond J.P. Noodle. And in order to see the bronze serpent, if you've been bitten... It takes humility. You have to crawl. You might be dying. You're crawling. You're trying to get to this bronze serpent. I mean, and, and even if you've been bitten, there's, there's, there'd be a part of you would say, yeah, but isn't God, you know, gracious and merciful? Didn't he tell Moses he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? I, don't, I think that's too narrow. I don't believe in, I'm, I'm not going to die. I'm, I'm adding conjecture here, but that stuff could have happened. But what, what that rep represented, though, was a humility. It was a repentance. It was acknowledging, acknowledgement of your sin, of offending God. And you're coming now as an Israelite saying, there's provision being made because of my sin. 
and I need to look at this bronze serpent. That's the only way I can live. And it's interesting here. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up that snake, so the Son of Man, referring to himself, it's this figure in Daniel 7, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all who look to him will be saved. Do you see that? It's an incredible passage. And then comes the famous John 3.16, right on the heels of that. For God so loved the world. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a bit of a blunder here. And my Greek professor told me, he said, Greek, Rob, is like your underwear when you preach. It holds everything together, but for God's sakes, don't show your church your underwear. Okay? I'm going to be a bit of a blunder here. So Dr. Plummer, if you're listening, forgive me. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world, you've probably heard that verse a zillion times. Even if you're not a Christian here this morning, you've probably heard that verse. Okay? The Greek word there, here's, sorry, not literally going to show you my underwear, okay? The Greek word there is hutos. That's the word for so. Which means, in this manner. That's what hutos means. Thus, in this way. In this manner. Make sense? So what you hear people do is emphasize the so and elevate the man as if he's got all of the worth. For God so loved the world, like he's a teenager who has a crush on you, essentially. Like he just looks at you and he goes, oh, I just, I love you, I love you, I love you so much. God loves you, not because you're special, or even worthy of his love. But he loved you at the cost of his son to send him to die in your place. For God so loved you in this way by sending his son. It's not that God looks down and goes, oh, I just, I can't get enough of you. I, 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 you're like, you know, I'm obsessed. I stalk you on Facebook. You know, I just, you are just, wow. And what people will do is they'll take that idea and they'll say, hey, aren't we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus? Yes, we are. Read all the Ephesians too. <laughs> You're dead in your trespasses and sins, sons of disobedience, but, but because of the grace of God. Sending his son for God's so love in this hutos way, now because of Jesus and his grace and adopting you in, you're his workmanship because of his grace and only because of his grace. That makes the cross way more appealing in a sense of you're way more grateful, right? As opposed to you kind of go, for God's so loved, and this, the, the preachers just belabor this. God so loved you, he loved you, he loved you, he loved you. And you go, <laughs> on the one hand, I don't really blame him. I'm pretty awesome. Why wouldn't God love me? Right? No, that, that doesn't, that's not, that's not, that's wrong. That's, that's not, that's not true. It, 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 God loved you at the cost, 
but, but it's, you see, it's much, much bigger than God sort of saying, oh, you're so great and I value you so much. It's like, I love you because you, it's like, the, it's like the disobedient kid on a playground when the dad tries to take him away from the playground, right? Um, it's, it's much more worse than that because we've, we've spat in God's face. We've, we've, thrown, we've thrown a conniption fit at God our whole life. And God said, this, I see all of that and instead of judging you, Instead of spanking you, as it were, I will spank, I will judge, I will put my wrath on my son. That's how much I love you. That's a lot greater than a high school crush. Would you agree? For God, hutos. Forgive me, Mr. Plummer. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now the question is then, if this comes from outside of us, this idea of being born again, what happens when a man or a woman is born again, is regenerated? Well, new desires come. New affections are expressed. Men and women and boys and girls who are born again, who truly experience this work of regeneration, they love God's word. They love God's people. They, ha- they love to worship. They love to serve Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. God comes. He gives a new heart. You must be born again. You must be born again and you can be born again because of what Jesus has done. You must be born again. George Whitfield, famous evangelist, a long time ago, God used him in tremendous ways, preached this passage, I think it was like, I could be misquoting this, several thousand times, maybe like, I don't know, 8,000 times or something crazy like that, right? And he always would say, you must be born again. And someone asked him when, after he'd preached it, like, you know, 8,900 and whatever, you know, Mr. Whitfield, why do you keep saying you must be born again? And he says, well, because you must be born again. You must be born again. It's the only hope you have, friend. Have you been born again? Have you? I'm not asking if you're familiar with people who have or familiar with the concepts of which I'm talking about. Have you drunk this down, as it were, for yourself? Is this faith that you know, experience, or is this just something that's familiar? Because look, Jesus is saying, I want all of you Right? Jesus said, if anyone come after me, right, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It, he's not, not just saying, hey, it's cool if you just tick a box, maybe go to Billy Graham crusade once, you just live differently now. You know, maybe you'd live differently for a week and then you went back to your old life. No, no, no. We cannot compartmentalize. Does that make sense? It's all of us. It's all of us or it's nothing at all. People will say this. John later says this 
in 1 John. We know that we have come to know him, right? How do you know if you're born again? We know that we've come to know him if we obey what he commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I'm not talking about we all struggle with sin here. This week, every one of us will have that fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's not what I'm talking about. A blatant sin in your life. This is what people will say to me. Yeah, 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 I made Jesus Savior. He's just not Lord of my life. That's not true. John says, you liar. Not me. John says, we know that we've come to know him if we obey commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Do you see the, do you see the weight of this? Do you understand the weight of all this? I, I wonder if you're here this morning and you've heard this message and it's become so familiar to you, but just, you've never actually appropriated it yet. And this is sort of just like another way maybe in a different accent and a bloke with different clothes on or whatever, saying it in a different sort of light. And you're kind of, you've become so familiar with it, but you've never appropriated it and you're just, you're, these words are sort of just washing over you this morning. What are you waiting for? Today can be the day of salvation. Turn from your sin now. You could walk out this room and God forbid, but get in a car accident or something horrible could happen to you. You guys know, you've lived long enough. People can die like that. Are you right with God? Do you know Jesus? Have you been born again? You must be born again. Turn to Jesus today. Let's pray. Lord, would you supernaturally regenerate hearts? We ask even now. Lord, how quickly when heads are bowed and eyes are closed do we just sort of run back into our own thoughts, our own justifications, our own reasons for why perhaps even now they're so sitting here that feel like, well, I'll turn, I'll turn to God later. I'll, I'll be born again later. I'll do that later. Lord, would you break that? And, and we ask that you would grant them repentance, cause them to be born again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love to talk to you more about that. I'll be here afterwards. And um, this is life or death, friends. This is, this is life or death stuff. We're gonna finish out this time now with singing a song together.